It's good to be here tonight. It's good to feel the touch of God's Spirit. I enjoyed, maybe I should say I was blessed very much by the Spirit in your worship service. Thank you to the praise ministry team for being sensitive to the Holy Ghost and for opening the door of opportunity for us to move into the presence of God and to be blessed abundantly by His presence. Amen. We're blessed tonight. We really are blessed. I, I would like to read a scripture, then I will have a few remarks to make that probably have nothing to do with what I plan to preach. But while you're standing, I would like to read from Matthew 16 and verse 24. And then I would like to read from James 4 and verse 7. Matthew 16, 24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And then James 4 and 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, Father, touch our hearts in the remainder of the service. We've been so fortunate to feel the touch of your Spirit here. Guide us as we open our hearts to your Word and to your will. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. And you may be seated. It is a pleasure to be here. Uh, it doesn't seem that long ago that we had the privilege of becoming better acquainted with your pastor and his wife. I've known of them. Our paths have crossed at various times, but uh, there was never a real solid connection for acquaintance. But I've heard so many wonderful things through the years from family members who have been blessed by their acquaintance with uh, this wonderful couple. And they have meant a lot to some of our family, the Jones family, and then to Brother James Kilgore and his family. Uh, these folks were very special to them. And I, I would have to say that this is not unusual because anyone that uh, my uncle considered to be sincere, dedicated to God, that loved God sincerely, became very special to him. And it seemed that God had blessed him with a great capacity so that he did not have to just focus on two or three people, but he had the ability to focus on a lot of people and touch a lot of lives. And I know that he has influenced these folks greatly and I also know that they have blessed him tremendously through the years. And it would seem that in the last few years that this church was kind of a special place for him. Love this church. and uh, We have grown to love Brother and Sister Hughes. Uh, I just enjoy being around them. They're the kind of folks that, that you just like to be with. First of all, because... They're genuine and real. Secondly, they're just pleasant people, and they're very talented people. And it, it is a privilege to be here tonight and to be invited to stand behind this pulpit and minister to you because I know that a congregation that a man pastors becomes very special to him and when he would invite you to become a part of that congregation for a night or a weekend or a revival or whatever, he has paid you a very uh, great compliment, and we feel complimented tonight to be here. Uh, it's 
also good to have our daughter, Nancy, our only daughter. It's good to have her with us, our favorite daughter. <laughs> our daughter that we love the most. It's good to have her with us. And then some friends, two of them go back a long way, Brother Tommy Taylor. And he was a part of our church in Spring Branch back 40 years ago or so, near that. And uh, uh, Sister Jackie Joy, she was a part of our youth group, a very young part. She was on the young side of the youth group. But uh, we, we knew, we saw on many occasions where uh, she was the last one in the altar on many occasions, just as a, a girl. And we did not understand some of the battles she was fighting or the difficulties of her life. We did not understand that or were not made aware of it until later. But Sister Jackie, it's so good to see you in church. Thank God. If you hold to God's unchanging hand, God will just take care of you. He'll direct your steps. And he'll bless you. And when we come to this area, it is a special delight to be able to visit with her and her husband, Brother David Joy, who told me that the greatest thing that ever came to his life was Sister Jackie because she introduced him to Jesus Christ. And Jesus made a tremendous change in his life. And isn't God great? And for all the saints of God, we, we love you. We may not know you that well, but we love you because you're a part of the family. And that's just kind of a universal thing. You just love the family of God and thank God that you can be a part of it. I kind of questioned my feelings when God began to deal with me about this subject or this issue, I, I questioned my own feelings because they came at a moment when I was praying and uh, it seemed like that I had been able to move into the presence of God. And uh, I thought about a Sunday night. This is not normally what would consider a Sunday night service, but I guess with God, there really is no... There's no Sunday night or Wednesday night or Sunday morning or whatever. It's just a gathering together of his people, and I guess he wants to minister to our hearts. And whatever the needs might be, it might seem kind of presumptuous for me to even feel that there would be someone here that would have need of this. Uh, but I, I do not base my feelings necessarily on that except to say usually when God speaks to my heart and begins to deal with me about a particular subject, it would be rare if there isn't someone there that would, would benefit if they would open their hearts and let God speak to them. And there have been occasions when I've probably preached to myself and everybody else in the congregation could just sigh, sigh of relief and say, well, I'm glad that I wasn't on the receiving end of that tonight. God has unique ways of talking to us and ministering to us. Most of you probably know that we're here not by choice, but because of uh, Uncle James's accident and then his funeral service. I told Brother Hughes and I've told others that I will miss him probably more than I could even express to anyone. He has been a source of help to me over the years. He helped me start my ministry. He was uh, a tremendous mentor in the early stages of my ministry. He was a tremendous example in my life. Uh, up until uh, the time he passed, uh, he, he was a tremendous influence in my life, and I, I know that I will miss him. He is the last surviving uncle on either side, my mom's or dad's, and 
and only a, one aunt left, his sister that was just a little older than him, and she is battling dementia. But Uncle James was very special in my life. And the unique thing about that is he was very special to a lot of people. And I just say this, I'm not going to get into it deeply. In my opinion, I cannot think of a church that was more influential in spiritual things, in commitment to the kingdom of God, in loving God, loving people, and people who were willing to give to the cause of Christ than Life Tabernacle has been in the past. I, I love that church. I love that church. I, I've longed for it at times, uh, even though Bobby and I were not able to attend there nearly as often as we wanted to. That church was kind of an anchor to us. When I would pray or when I would contemplate the kingdom of God and I would look to churches to find direction and inspiration and help, I always looked to Life Tabernacle. And uh, my, my spirit has been blessed and directed and strengthened and encouraged more times than I could ever tell you. And I will miss that special touch, what that church was, the people that it touched. It was literally a mission field in our own nation. And there were some things that took place there that were so remarkable that many of us will remember them as long as we live. And I prayed today, God, revive that spirit. Let that spirit live again in that church to touch the hearts of multitudes. And I pray for them, and of course I love my family, and there are many people there that we still remember, and we love them. But I just thank God for that church. But the thing that I will probably miss the most about my uncle is his unwavering commitment to the cross, to the value of the salvation of souls. He did not he did not submit himself or he did not give in to the, uh, I said something right, I can't hear my wife. Oh, has anybody got a BB gun? <laughs> Stick a pen in that thing. Now I have another experience to add to the many that I've had. I have had competition with a pink balloon. It could have at least been black or red or, but pink. Oh, forget it. I'm going to hide behind the pulpit here for a while. And I do appreciate his unwavering Burden and vision for the cross and for what the cross meant. And I pray that God would raise up young men that would have that same passion for souls. I pray that God would touch churches that would have that same commitment to a world that's lost. I pray that the fires of revival would be ignited in this church. And that no one here, that no one here would be discouraged by a sense of inability. I just pray that God would open our hearts and touch us and lead us into a place where he can use us the way he wants to use us. I, I pray that God would bless you folks that your pastor would be able to lead you into a position to where God can use you abundantly.
You know, we all, we all understand that there's a great value and power in prayer. We know that, that when men pray earnestly and sincerely, there's the potential for God to do something unusually powerful and great. The Bible said that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so when men endeavor to walk in righteousness, then God hears their fervent prayer. Now you can pray however you want to. And I am not here or would not be here to criticize your style of praying. And I understand that sometimes if we give in to our human passions and emotions that maybe our approach would be distracting to somebody else. I felt that way about my own prayers at times. But there's one thing I know, that when we touch God and God touches us, when our lives are given to righteousness, when we are willing to say no to the flesh and yes to God, and we allow the passion of Gethsemane to touch our hearts, and we begin to pray fervently, I promise you, something begins to happen. It is not a matter of filling some space with our prayers or energy. It is a matter of committing our hearts to God and allowing God to deal with our hearts as we pray. Even Christ praying in Gethsemane is a great lesson about what at least a part of prayer is all about. I contend tonight that the greatest value of prayer is not persuading God to do something. Because God does not have to be persuaded because before before we ever came to a point of righteousness, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. No one had to persuade him to do that because that was his will because the Bible said that he was not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That means God isn't willing that your lost son remain lost or that your lost daughter remain lost or that your unsaved companion remain lost. That isn't God's will. I am persuaded that one of the greatest things that takes place in fervent prayer is what takes place in our own hearts. If my prayers do not affect my life and my choices, then my prayers are not very effective or very powerful. I don't have to persuade God to want to do good things. He said in the book of Psalms, if you only understood the good thoughts that I have toward you. But prayer, just like the prayer that he exampled for us, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed as though it were, and he sweat as though it were great drops of blood. He prayed under such agony. The only part of the prayer that we are able to understand is no and know is when he said, Father, if you will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He wasn't trying to persuade God, the eternal spirit, to change his mind about Calvary. He was trying to bring the human body, flesh, under control so that it could be obedient to the will of God. And I contend tonight that the greatest effect of prayer is the effect it has on my own heart. I have walked into prayer meetings with my mind set on certain issues. I have walked 
out of that prayer meeting with a totally changed perspective of life and my relationship with God and with people because in prayer, God did something to my heart. I don't have to beg God to love me for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I don't have to beg God to love me. Even when I have been foolish, when I have made bad choices, God still loves me. That doesn't change the fact that God loves me. If there's going to be a change in the prayer, it's going to be a change in my mind, and I'm going to abandon those ways that separated me from God because God is always there. The Bible said in Him there's no variableness nor shadow of turning. In other words, God's always there. I may not always be here, but God is always there where I am. My prayers, my prayers must affect me to make the changes that need to be made so God can use me the way he wants to use me. And having introduced my feelings and my burdens tonight, let me move forward. I don't want to be lengthy with this. I hope that I can be effective. Matthew 16 and 24 then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There's a, I feel like one of the most horrible mistakes that a church world has ever made is being made today. But it isn't a new mistake. It was made back in the Old Testament under Micah's reign as, as a prophet. Because I think, it's, I think it's Micah 3 and 11 that talks about how that the judges and the priests have given in to the wishes of the people and allowed the people to bribe them so that they would, they would serve as the people wanted them to serve. So that they, in other words, instead of the priests and the judges leading the people into righteousness, they found out what the folks wanted and they were bribed to give in to the desires or the wishes of the congregation. And I was reading that recently and some of these thoughts have really borne on my mind, but I was, I was reading that recently and as I was reading it, I thought of the old song that I used to pray a lot. I haven't heard it sung in years, but it says, where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him, with him all the way. And the new rendition of that seems to be by those who have itching ears. Where they lead me, I will follow. Where they lead me, I will follow. I'll go with them with them all the way. I choose to follow him. Where he leads me, I will follow. If that means I've got to shed some of the issues of life, I'm going to get rid of them because where he leads me, I will follow. My prayer to any preacher that stands behind the pulpit when I'm in the congregation is preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Don't look for the latest trends. Don't seek out the latest styles. But go to the good book and find what it takes for a man to be saved, delivered from the powers of sin. Where he leads me. I will follow. I'll go with him, with him, all the way. Thank God for those preachers that caused me to search my heart. 
Thank God for the men that helped me resist the pull of the world and my carnal mind. Thank God for the men who were willing to challenge, and I might also say the ladies as well, who have preached to me and caused me to abandon my carnal paths and to seek God and desire to serve Him with all of my heart. The world doesn't need better church buildings. The world is not in need of more sophisticated programs. We don't even need and all of us enjoy the beauty of harmony. And we appreciate folks that love God enough that they're willing to spend time and practice until their harmony is right. And, and it just removes maybe an annoyance from what's taking place. We don't need better singers, better musicians, and better instruments. We need more of God. We need more of Him in our services. We need more of the power of God's Spirit released in our midst to bring about the glory of God that changes lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Several years ago in the Philippines, we'd gone there with uh, Uncle James and several folks from Life Tabernacle along with my parents and a few others. We'd gone there to dedicate the Bible school in Manila that bore the name of my grandfather. And during that time, they had planned a big crusade and had rented a big uh, theater that was just beautiful, very modern. I believe that it, its building was probably the result of the efforts of, I believe it was Imelda Marcus, I think that was the name. And it was a very beautiful building. If you will Excuse me, my sinuses give me fits. And when you combine sinuses and your emotions as you feel the presence of God, it's, it gets kind of bad sometimes. But that, that beautiful theater seated 6,000 people. After 7,000 people had come in, they shut the doors and wouldn't allow any more in. The building was packed. The first night of the service, uh, Uncle James preached. He preached just a very simple message of salvation. And I will never forget the scene. I think maybe Jimbo mentioned it yesterday at the funeral. But I'll never forget the scene when he made the altar appeal. There was a huge platform that would have been much larger, I believe, even than this auditorium. And uh, when he made the altar appeal, I saw folks get up in the balcony, the back of the auditorium, and all over. I saw them get up and crowd into the aisles. They packed the aisles. They come to the front. They invited them onto the platform. They packed the platform so tightly you could hardly get among them to pray. They packed the area between the front rows of seats and the platform packed. I tried to pray with folks and could hardly get to them to pray with them. And when I saw the tremendous amount of conviction that night, uh, my heart was touched deeply. And I don't know, but I believe that night there were maybe 120, 150 people that they knew of that received the Holy Ghost. And so many of us began to pray because we realized that with a crowd that was that moved and that many people wanting God, that we would never have to, never be able to minister to them personally. And we prayed, God, we just need a sovereign move of your spirit. And the next night, the building was packed again. There were 7,000 people in the auditorium. They shut the doors and they opened up a satellite room for another 1,000, 1,200 
and uh, the service started. And that night I was supposed to preach, and they had asked Bobby to sing. And she sat down at the grand piano that night and began to sing as just from her heart worshiping God. And the folks began to respond, and the Holy Ghost began to move in the congregation. And we did have a sovereign move of the Spirit that night. God moved all over that congregation, and people began to open their hearts and began to praise God all over the building. And it wasn't long until folks began speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And that night, all over the congregation, as God moved, didn't have to have experienced people praying with them. People were so hungry. God moved and over 500 people received the Holy Ghost that night just under the power of the sovereign move of God in that service. So I say that we don't need grandeur. We need God. We don't need sophisticated programs. We need God. We don't need better programs. We need God. Because when God is involved in our services, then there is nothing that can hold people back. Thank God for the moving and the ministry of His Spirit. We just need God. We need God to motivate our hearts to direct our decisions and choices. Why don't you just throw your hands up right now and acknowledge God and praise Him from the depths of your heart. God, we love you. We praise you tonight. Thank you for your graciousness and for your power. Glory to God. Glory to God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of God told the Corinthian church under the inspiration of the Spirit as they looked around them and they saw <clears throat> idol temples on every hand, tens of thousands of temple prostitutes walked the streets of the city, priests with their various robes, types of robes on. The city was filled with all kinds of idolatry. And that new church, that small church, looked at all of that and no doubt was overwhelmed. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, said, Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath entered the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Most of the times I've heard that growing up, it was used in a sense of eternity, and it certainly could very well describe what eternity is going to be like. Streets of gold, gates of pearl, foundations of costly stone, and walls of costly stone, mansions there, and a peace and an, a tranquility that would be beyond our imagination the Bible said God was going to wipe away all tears from their eyes and there wouldn't be any more pain, no more death, no more sorrow. And, and so when we consider that, that is beyond our imagination because most of us have never, we've never known a life that was totally free from anxiety, from fear, from struggle, from trouble, and so forth. But I don't really think that was the intent of that message I think what he was saying was, you're surrounded by a lot of folks that are diametrically opposed to everything you're going to preach. You're surrounded by people that have no idea about the power of the cross. You're surrounded by folks who are given to their religions, and they're giving everything they have to their religions, and they're satisfied. And you're not going to persuade them by debates, by arguments. You're not going to fill your church by persuading them 
through your human abilities, but eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither have entered the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. So God has something prepared for his church. This church, not the resurrected translated church, but this church. God has something prepared for this church that's far greater than we could ever imagine. Close your eyes and view this auditorium. And instead of seeing empty spots on the pews, see it packed out. See folks standing around the walls. See the anointing of God's Spirit. See miracles taking place. See God moving with miracles of healing as well as miracles of salvation. There isn't anything beyond God. There isn't anything too great for God. Oh, by the way, that son or that daughter may have been foolish. They may have caused you all kinds of heartache and sorrow and embarrassment. But is anything too hard for God? I don't think so. (laughs) I said, I don't think so. God's able to save to the uttermost. We just need God. I said, we just need God moving and working in our midst. There's a pastor in Louisiana that we have admired and loved for years and have been privileged to become friends with. This man and his family inspire me. I love his church, but he was telling me that when he took the church, it had been disgraced. It, uh, the former pastor had left it, had, had misused funds and left them on bills all over the country, all over the, the area there and said uh, the people that, that had not been paid uh, did not have a good feeling or attitude towards the church. And when he took the church, facing all of these difficulties, he realized that he was going to have to have the touch of God to make a difference. And so he began to pray and began to teach Bible studies. And just recently, he had already shared some of this with me, but just recently he told me a story that he said after he'd been there for a little while, he was teaching Bible studies, and he knew that a lot of people looked down on the church. They didn't think there would ever be anything good come of that church because of their condition, situation, the the, uh, things that had transpired that brought ridicule and disdain. He said one day he was, he was sitting in his office, and there was a knock on the office door. And he said, when I went to the door, there was a man standing there. His hair was long. and I believe he said the man had a, just a full, long beard. And in his arms was a little girl, about maybe five or six years old. And said, uh, he glanced down and saw that there were braces on her legs. And I don't know what the condition was. Evidently, her legs had, had from birth been crooked or maybe her feet had been turned out or in at an unusual position and he had gone to the doctors for help and the doctors had done about all they could and now she was in braces and this man who was not a Christian in fact at that time he learned later at that time this man was a drug dealer and uh, he just looked at him and said pastor can you do anything for my daughter and he said well come on in and let's sit down and talk. And the man sat across the desk from him and, and he could tell that this man was very concerned about the little girl. But he said uh, he talked to him about how much he loved her and how that they had tried everything they could and nothing had really worked. And so his friend said, well, let's have prayer. And said, I walked around the desk and just gently laid my hands on that little girl and I began to pray. So I prayed a simple prayer. He said, but while I was praying, he said, I heard bones popping. 
literally said, I heard bones popping. And I knew that God was doing a work. And when I finished my prayer, I looked at that father and I said, why don't you take those braces off and let's see what God has done. He took the braces off and set the little girl down. Her legs and her feet were straight. and There was strength in her legs. And she began to walk. And he said, Brother Shoemaker, there are two things that helped us to build a church and erase all those bad feelings. He said, that was the power of God that performed miracles. He said, I've got those braces along with crutches and wheelchairs and other things in a special room as a testament to the power and the glory of God. Glory to God. There is no limit to what God can do if we will just believe Him. And could I just quickly go to a part that might or might not apply to you, but I just feel there's somebody here that might could use this. The biggest problem in the church is not a lack of God's concern or care. It's a lack of our submission to God. You know, there are little things that get in the way. You'd be surprised. You know, we cannot harbor hurts or bitterness or strife and have God flowing freely. We cannot hang on to angers and the feelings of betrayal and things like that and see God move. I guess... I guess I could simplify it and sum it up by saying that, that we've just got to wash our hearts from everything that would be a hindrance, everything that would, that would stop the flow of the Spirit. We've just got to give it all to God. And Jesus said, you know, sometimes, and this becomes an issue with many churches, we want a church that satisfies us. You know, I want a church where the songs are what I want to hear, where the preacher preaches the way I like it, and where it's set up and the sound is just right with me. And if we're not careful, we can begin to design a church Selfishly, with a self-centered attitude. And then I hear Jesus say, if any man will follow after me, let him first of all deny himself and then take up his cross and follow me. So an apostolic church that is anointed of the Spirit of God is a church where the majority of the people have crossed that bridge. They have won that battle. And they are unselfish people. The songs may not always be what they want, but instead of allowing it to become a point of contention in their hearts, they'll just spend a little more time in prayer saying, God, if I'm wrong, then touch my heart. If the church needs a change, then God, you speak to someone and put it in the hands of God. To where everything is not about me. I don't want to preach about this tonight, but if you go to the 15th chapter of the book of Luke and you read the story of the lost sheep, the lost corn, and the lost son, you'll find with that lost sheep that the, the need for reaching folks who are lost is so great that the church is left not wanting or needing. They're left secure, but the attention is given on that soul that is lost. 
And how many times have I seen people in the church get upset because not enough attention was given to them? We ought to be so soul conscious that it would be almost like we had Teflon covering us. Where these aggravating issues that touch our hearts just can't even get through to us anymore. Try your best, Satan. We're not going to give in to that. Give it your best shot, carnal mind, but we're not going to give in to that. We're going to let the spiritual mind and the spirit take control of what's happening. And we're going to give our best to the kingdom of God. Not going to allow people to get on my nerves and under my skin to the point that my spirit would stop the flow of revival. I want to put God first so that God can move in any and every service until when a sinner walks in, they feel the touch of God's Spirit. I want to see the time when we're praying them through the Holy Ghost before they're ever stopped with their praise, singing, and worship. Before the preacher ever gets in the pulpit, let's see four or five folks born again of water the Spirit. Let's see the anointing of the Holy Ghost flow so freely that God's doing miracles in our midst. It's worth it to submit our hearts to God. I look at my daughter here tonight and I apologize for calling attention but and I, I'm not going to share these things in detail with you but I look at her I have great admiration for her love for God and her commitment to the kingdom of God she's probably had more than two disappointments in life but I can recall two disappointments that would either one be enough to shake the strongest among us but she just kept on living for God. And the last one, more recent, just kind of shook the very foundation of her soul. But I saw her, I would listen to her talk, and I saw her go to God with these things. I saw her put these things in God's hand and let God have it. And, you know, that's where it belongs. I don't want to take time to to go into this in any detail, but in Hebrews 10 and 30, he said, For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. And then there's another in Second Corinthians 10, says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and everything that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In other words, we let God fight our battles. When you resign from the, the army of the flesh and give it to God, God knows how to take care of everything. The Bible said that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. If God owns it, I don't want to take it out of His hands. I want to give it to God because God knows what to do with it. And I watched Nancy as she committed this to God, we had conversations. I agreed with her that she had not done anything to deserve what had happened. I agreed with her. But I know something that's greater than being right. That's being submitted to the Spirit of God. You know, you can be right on an issue and lose your soul. In fact, many folks have because they've been so right they couldn't get beyond what had happened to them. I look at Sister Jackie tonight. She could have easy, easily thrown in the towel and given in to some of life's bitter taste. But, you know, 
If we can give it to God, if we can allow him to fight our battles, and then we continue on in prayer. Because you see, the kingdom of God's more important than my personal feelings. That's why Jesus said, deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. I pray that God would touch our hearts. I've prayed this for myself. I don't just say it to you. I've prayed it for myself. God, please, please help me to lay aside all selfish attitudes, self-centered motives, because I want your kingdom to flourish and grow. If Christ was willing to go to the cross for me, I ought to be able to bear a few burdens and say, God, until you lift that load, it's just given to you because I want your kingdom to be blessed. I don't want to come to church and tie up any service because my spirit's not right with God. I don't want to come to any service and deny a sinner the right or the opportunity to feel conviction because I am so bound in my own grief or my own hurt or the things that have affected my life. I just want to give it to the Lord. I want to submit myself to the kingdom of God, deny the flesh, and let God take control in my life. I want God to rule in my heart. And then maybe... I don't know, a week or two ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago now or so, we got word Nancy's attending the church in uh, Turlock now. And she's been teaching a Bible study to some of her neighbors. I was so thrilled, Nancy. When we got word, I don't know where they came from, but I was so thrilled when we got word that God had moved in your service there. That Sunday afternoon in Turlock, one of the ladies she'd been teaching Bible study to received the Holy Ghost. Brother L.L. Stevens' granddaughter prayed back through. And I think there were maybe three or four received the Holy Ghost that day. There are others in the Bible study who are stirred and hungry. And I'll promise you that the reward of seeing those folks come to God would have been greater than seeing vengeance wrecked on anybody that has hurt her or brought disturbance to her life. The kingdom of God is worth infinitely more than any value we could place on it. And it's certainly worth more than my feelings. I want to let God rule and reign in my life. Glory to God. I pray that when you come back here for midweek service, that the Holy Ghost can flow and that God's Spirit will anoint and souls will be born into the kingdom of God. Would you stand together? Give God a hand clap of praise.